Well, guys, I am so happy to see you here tonight. It's so awesome to look out and see a full crowd. Uh, it's really, really encouraging. I know that God is doing amazing things with this service. It's because of you guys and you coming to this place and inviting your friends. So I just want to encourage you to continue to invite people. Um, if this is your first time, welcome. Make sure you guys get a bag at the starting point desk. It's our way of saying thank you for being here. So we're in a sermon series now called All In. And it's all about people in the Bible who sold out for Jesus, who went all in in all areas of their life. And last week, Chris and I kind of talked about what it meant to be all in and what it looked like. And tonight we're going to go through a Bible story that honestly is one of those stories that makes you uh, kind of wonder why God had this test for Abraham, why God would would call him to do something like that. And it's the story of Abraham and Isaac. Um, I can't start in Genesis 22 where the test is. I'd rather back up to Genesis 12 to give you a little bit of history of what's going on in the story. So in Genesis 12, Abraham is called to leave his home in Haran, and he's called to leave his livelihood, to leave his family, to leave his security, to leave everything, and to travel to Palestine, the promised land. And he's promised these things. He's promised a land that is rich with milk and honey, and it's filled with camels and livestock. Uh, He's promised a family to be a father of the nations, and he's promised that God will always be with him. And so because of these things, because of what Abraham believed, just leaning into the promises of God, he did that. He left his home, the security of his home in Haran, to go to Palestine. And God began to to give him the things that he had asked for. It was a land of milk and honey with with crops and with uh, plentiful resources. And then he met his wife, Sarah. Um, Sarah was a 10 out of 10. She was a beautiful woman. The name Sarah actually means princess, and she was his princess, definitely, Uh, But it came time um, where they thought they might be able to have children, and well, it just didn't really happen. And so they got older, and generation after generation, and year after year after year passed, and they started questioning, is this going to happen? Is God really going to make right on his promise and give us a family, give us children? And it talks about in Scripture that one night, uh, God's walking along with Abraham, and he says, it's time, it's time, Abraham, you'll have a child, you will conceive on this evening, it says that Abraham kind of laughs at God, and God says, did you laugh at me? Did you laugh at this? Are you being faithful, or are you laughing at this? And he said, no. He said, no, I'm not laughing at this. And, and so he went to Sarah that night, and God, God told Sarah, it's time, you're going to conceive a child. And this would be like telling like a hundred-year-old woman now to conceive a child. It would just be mind-blowing, and she, she laughed. She thought, you know, you got to be kidding me. And, and God said, did you laugh at me, and my promise, and my goodness? And she said, well, God, no. And sure enough, that night, they conceived their son, Isaac. And the name Isaac literally means laughing boy. And man was he a laughing boy. Uh, And he filled those parents with so much happiness and so much joy that I believe that Isaac was a spoiled, rotten rat. Uh, I do. Uh, You know, you think about parents who are older, who have their first child, and especially only child— they just pour everything. I think he had his own tent. I think he had the fastest camel. I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying, I think this kid was spoiled. And I think it got to the point where Abraham would die for Isaac, where Abraham loved Isaac more than he loved Sarah, more than he loved life, and maybe even more than he loved God. And I think God saw that. And so this is where the test comes about in Genesis 22. And uh, instead of just reading the scripture for you tonight, I'm going to go back to the scripture, but I think it would be really helpful for you guys to actually see it and visualize it. So uh, just watch this clip. So, you know, you look at that video clip, and uh, it's kind of hard to imagine what that would feel like 
to wait so many years for this promise to come true, and then to finally have this child against all odds, against everything, and then God tell him that he needs to sacrifice his child. I'd like to go through the scripture because I know that that's kind of confusing and try to find the points that God had for this, um, for this message. And so it starts in Genesis 22 and it says this. It says, after all this, God tested Abraham. God said, Abraham, yes, answered Abraham, I'm listening. He said, take your dear son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I'll point out to you. It says, Abraham got up early in the morning and he saddled his donkey. He took two of his young servants and his son Isaac, and he had split wood for the burnt offering. He set out for the place God had directed him. On the third day, he looked up and saw the place in the distance. Abraham told his two young servants, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I are going over there to worship. Then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and gave it to Isaac, his son, to carry. He carried the flint and the knife. The two of them went off together. Isaac said to Abraham, his father, Father, yes, my son, we have flint and wood, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, Son, God will see to it that there's a sheep for the burnt offering. And they kept on walking together. And they arrived at the place to which God had directed them. Abraham built an altar. He laid out the wood, and then he tied up Isaac and laid him on the wood. Abraham reached out and took the knife to kill his son. Just then an angel of God called to him out of heaven, Abraham, Abraham, yes, I'm listening. Don't lay a hand on that boy. Don't touch him. Now I know how fearlessly you fear God. You didn't hesitate to place your son, your dear son, on the altar for me. Now I think that we have to understand that God hated uh, child sacrifice. We saw it in the Canaanite religion in scripture, and he absolutely hated it. He thought it was absolutely detestable. And so in this story, we have to take it with a grain of salt that God knew that Abraham was not going to kill his son, that God knew that he wasn't going to actually sacrifice his son, but it was a test to see what Abraham loved more, his son or God himself. His son or God himself. And I think there's an important phrase that's in this passage, and it talks about the fear of God, and it's towards the end. And it says, um, if you can go back one, it says, now I know how fearlessly you fear God. I think a lot of times in our life, um, we understand how to trust God, we understand how to love God, but we don't really understand what it means to fear God. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, growing up, I had a lot of weird fears. I was terrified of the dark. How many of you guys slept with a nightlight? Okay, cool, I'm the only one. Thank you for making me feel like a loser. Uh, Yeah, I was afraid of the dark. Um, How many of you guys are afraid of spiders? Yeah? Yeah, so those are just common phobias, but... Having the fear of God, I don't believe, actually means having this phobia or this concern. But I kind of see it like this. Uh, I imagine that we're all in this 10-foot canoe, and we're in the middle of the ocean, and the waves just start building and crashing against you, and the storm is rolling in, and the rain just starts pouring down. And in that moment, you just look at yourself, and you feel so small. You realize the awesomeness of the water around you. And I think that's what it means to have the fear of God within you, is to realize the awesomeness and the power of God that is around you. But unfortunately, so often in our life, it's as if we're driving a yacht through a lake. Uh, We we believe that we are um, invincible, 
Uh, we believe that we are the ones in control, and we forget about these ways and these things that are going up against us. We forget about the power of God, and we don't fear him anymore. We don't, we don't rest in his power and his might and his mercy. You see, there's two uh, examples of how people went all in in this story. You see, Abraham knew this power, knew the fear, how, what it meant to fear God. And so he was willing to lay down his son as a sacrifice to say, you know what? God, I love you more. I love my son. I love him so much, but I love you more. And then you got to flip that. You know, that story doesn't really represent it well because historically Isaac would have been between 25 and 37. So he was old enough. I imagine that Isaac was kind of picking up on it, you know, thinking, okay, there's no sacrifice. Um, I'm screwed. I mean, I really think he probably believed that as he's walking up uh, the mountain. But he still says, Father, tie up my hands. And he let his father throw him on the altar to be sacrificed. Talk about going all in. Somebody willing to die because he believed that God would provide a sacrifice. And so the question that I have for you guys tonight in your life is this. What is your Isaac? You know, Isaac was Abraham's son. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to love your children because that's an awesome thing to love your kids. I'm not saying it's wrong to love your job or, or love the things you do at school or um, have a love and appreciation for other things in life. What I am saying is, this story is very clear that God wants us to have our priorities in check. And I think each of us have an Isaac in our lives. Uh, I know for me personally, God has really been messing me up lately uh, and convicting me about how much I'm on my phone. Uh, They've been doing all kinds of studies about smartphones and iPhones. And I read this article recently, Steve Jobs wouldn't even let his own children have smartphones or iPhones or um, any Apple products. Because not only does it stunt creativity, um, but it causes people to to not even have social skills or abilities to communicate and relate to other people. Uh, On top of that, there was another study that showed that people, when they talked about their iPhone, the same triggers in your brain that fire when you talk about family, when you talk about love, when you talk about God, those same triggers were going off when people talked about their phones. Uh, And that, I don't know if that hits you, but when I read that, it really, really hit me. And uh, I started thinking... You know, God looks at the heart. God, when he tested Abraham, was saying, Abraham, where is your heart? And I think that it's a very clear indicator where our heart lies is where we spend our time, what we give our time to. And I don't know about you, but I promise you that I'm on my phone on Facebook or Instagram or texting friends or scrolling through a pointless feed a lot more than I'm reading my Bible. And I think that if you really looked at your life, you could find that one thing that you're devoting so much more time to than God. And it could even be something good, like, like Abraham with his son. And so tonight, I want to encourage you to do this. Um, I have my phone here, and I know a lot of times these things are just so hard to give up. But I also have this huge rock. You see, tonight, this is going to be our altar. And I want to encourage you tonight to fill out those index cards that were given to you when you walked in the door. If you don't have one, they're on each side of the table. But guys, tonight, I want to just challenge you to fully surrender to God, to give up that one thing that's just holding you back. Now, I've never done this. I could miss or it couldn't break and make me look stupid. But tonight, we just want to do this. Ah, Somebody want this? Here you go, Krishna. (laughs) She said she always wanted an iPhone. 
the point of that, guys, is there's a lot of things in our life that we give priority to that really, at the end of the day, have no worth. That really, at the end of the day, are things that just fade away. Now, no, that wasn't my iPhone. I still have mine in my pocket. (laughs) But when when we're talking about this idea of what it looks like to be all in, of what it looks like to fully surrender, you know, we sing that new song, I absolutely love it, and we sing the words, take it all, take it all, my life in your hands. We have to look at our life and what our life consists of on a day-to-day basis. Um, For some of you guys, I feel like you might be in the room tonight and you've never surrendered control. You love control over God. You might say, Blake, no, that's ridiculous. But yet, you have a hard time saying, God, I'm just going to give this to you and let it go. And you obsess over it and you lose sleep over it and you worry about it and you have anxiety when God says 365 times, fear not. You see, you hold on to that control and you refuse to surrender it at the altar of God. You, you, refu- you refuse to give it to him. Maybe tonight that thing that you're holding on to, that thing that is more powerful, that, that is a ruling factor in your life, is your job and your, your desperate need for success or for your name. You care so much about what people think about you, about how you are, are, are known in the community, and so because of that, you refuse to preach the gospel. You refuse, refuse to sell out for God because you love your name more than you love God. And if it's something like a phone, maybe it's not a phone, but maybe it's just your relationships. You spend more time on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or just talking with friends than you do talking to a God who gives strength. And I, I just want to say this tonight. Um, this is a personal thing, but I know in my life, when I'm not right with God, none of my relationships are right. Can anybody else attest for that? When I'm not right with God, it is so obvious. Because how are we supposed to love people? How are we supposed to be kind and do all the things that Jesus does when we're not talking to him, when we don't know him, when we wouldn't recognize him if we saw him in a crowded room? So tonight, I just challenge you and encourage you as the band comes up, to just think of that one thing. What is that one thing in your life that you love more than you love God? What is your Isaac? And tonight I just want to challenge you and encourage you to fill out that card. And during this time in the next song, we have three baskets up here. Just come up and lay it in the basket. Lay it down and say, you know what, God? I'm showing you my heart tonight. I'm laying this down and I'm saying, God, you are more. God, you are bigger. God, you are stronger. I love you more. And maybe not put it in the basket, but maybe you just need to come up to the altar tonight. Get on your hands and knees and say, you know what, God? Tonight, for the first time, I am surrendering all of me. That is every single aspect of my life. That's my desires, my, my wants, my needs, my temptations, my job, my kids, my family, everything. God, tonight I am laying it all down. Would you pray with me? God, sometimes I know we just get it wrong. And God, just thank you for being a God who gives us grace and clarity when we get it wrong. And God, I want to I wanna live a life that says I love Jesus. I don't want to live a life and the only thing that, that stays here, the only thing that lasts are 
Facebook post on cyberspace. God, I just ask that tonight that you would push us all to become all in for you, to totally sell out, to let go of that one thing that maybe we've never been able to fully surrender to you, that one thing that has always been a ruling force in our life. God, if it is an addiction in the room tonight, if it's this thing that has just consumed our lives and our hearts, it's been a ruling force. It's, it's caused relationships to fall apart. It's caused us to never hold down a job. God, I just ask that you would allow us to give that to you. God, we might love that. Our, our flesh might say we need that and we want that, but tonight, would you give us the strength to say, you know what? No, I love God more. I love you more. God, tonight, maybe it's this feeling of worthlessness. Maybe it's this crippling and debilitating feeling that we'll never become anything, that we're too ugly or too fat or too broken or too stupid to ever do anything for you, to ever have any worth or value in this life. And we love those words. We love those whispers. We love holding on to that more than we love you tonight. And God, I just ask that you would challenge us and, and push us to say, you know what? I have a father who made me in his image. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God, I am tired of letting this be a ruling factor in my life. I surrender it to you because I love you more. God, if we have constantly been seeking after fame and a name and a good job and money, God, would you just convict our hearts? Would you challenge us to have a shack on a rock over a castle built in the sand? God, tonight, can we just lay down our jobs, lay down that part of our life that has consumed us, that has worn us down, that has caused us to have strained relationships with our family. God, would you just push us to lay that down at your feet tonight and say, God, I love you more. And God, if there's a person in this room tonight who has never surrendered to you, whether it be because of their past, whether it be because they feel like you can't reach them, whether it be because of anything that Satan might be telling them, lying to them in their ear, God, I just ask that you would convict their hearts tonight. Lord, would you just show those people in this room your love tonight? And if that's you in the room tonight, I just, I'm praying for you right now. I'm lifting you up to God because I know he wants your heart. He wants all of you, the, the broken, messy version of you. Because he loves you enough to take you just as you are, but he loves you so much that he's going to help you become such an amazing person and someone who can live an abundant and fulfilling and sustaining life. But only first, when you say, you know what? My life is good, but I'm about to lay it down at the foot of God because I'm giving it up for something better. If that's you, would you come down tonight and just lay that down? God, thank you for being a God of grace and of mercy and of love. Thank you for this church. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. So guys, as this next song is playing, I just encourage you to stand up. Write down on that card that one thing that's been priority in your life. That one thing has been a ruling force. Would you come up, and whether it's on these stairs prayer to God or in these baskets, would you just throw it down and say, God, I'm laying this on the altar because I love you more. Because I love you more. You can respond in other ways. We have the offering buckets up here to give back to what God has already given us. 
And we have the communion representing what Jesus did on the cross for us. See, the Bible says that God will never ask of us something that he's not willing to do. And we look at that story of Abraham and Isaac and we think, oh my gosh, how could he ask Abraham to sacrifice his son? And then we see on that same mountain, like Isaac carried his bundle of wood, Jesus carried his bundle of wood strapped to his back and he died in blood on the cross for you and for me. Because Jesus said that day, you know what, I love my life, but I love God more and this is what he wants for me. So would you surrender tonight? Would you respond in whatever way God's calling you? Just stand and sing.